Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. This, this is the story that we find ourselves in, this story uh, that was shaped by a week uh, that changed the world. And over the next number of weeks as a church, we're going to be looking uh, at this story, these seven days from today till Easter Sunday. We're going to spread it out over the next four or five weeks uh, as we look at this journey that Jesus went on uh, to purchase our freedom, to invite us into this relationship with the Father. It is the most significant week in human history. And so uh, this morning, I'm so glad to get to come and to share a little bit about this sense of uprising that began at the beginning of this week. I don't know if you have ever come close to losing your freedom. You don't need to share if you have. I'll share one particular story. We have to go back 15 years ago. Uh, I had headed out with Laura, my wife, and, and her family. We weren't married yet, um, but we'd headed out to America because some of her family live out there. We'd gone there for Christmas. Christmas in Florida. You know that is a massive hint from your prospective future in-laws to hurry up and ask a certain question if they're bringing you on the family holiday to Florida. And when we got there, we got to hire a nice big American car. Any of you who've ever driven in America, you'll know that's a little bit of a treat. And not only was I trusted enough to come on the family holiday, I was trusted enough to go on the insurance. That is a risk worth taking for your possible future son-in-law. And, and because I was trying to score, let's be honest, a few brownie points, when it got to Christmas Day, everyone was doing Christmas. We went to the beach. We came back. We had a dinner. People had a few drinks. And I thought, here's the perfect opportunity to win brownie points. Because Laura's aunt and uncle, they lived about 20-minute drive down the road. And I thought, I'll, I'll be the driver. I'll be designated. That's fine. I'm going to win a few brownie points here. So it got to that point in the evening. They were like, we'll call a taxi. I said, no, no. No, no, I, I will serve you. I will, I will drive you home, no problem. So me and Laura, her aunt and uncle, we hopped in the car and we drove down the road, chatting away, everything else. Street's really quiet, Christmas evening. And, and we got in and we dropped them off. And just as we dropped them off, Laura's auntie said, you're a, you're a brilliant driver. I was like, thanks very much. Be a brilliant husband one day as well. And, and they went on. They were like, you know, some people, they really struggle to adapt to the opposite side of the road and all the rest. But you're, you're really confident. Like, you've got this. I was like, yeah, thanks, thanks. All good, all good. We then drove out to start our journey home, just me and Laura in the car. We drove up to the end of the street. We turned left and drove to the end of the next street to the big, big junction. Big, big junctions are things you have to get right in America. And so as I drove up to the junction, I thought, driving the right, driving the right driving the right. And I pulled out into the middle of the junction and pulled on to what I thought was the right-hand side of the road. I did not realize the road was a good eight lanes wide on either side. Drove for about 15 seconds till I saw a wave of headlights coming straight towards me. So luckily, no bother, hit the brakes, popped the car in reverse, went to get myself on the right side of the barrier. At which point I leaned over my shoulder to look in the rear view mirror to see a state trooper's car <laughs> driving round the corner. He drove onto the correct side of the road, as you would expect he would, and I then tucked in carefully behind him and thought, if I drive slowly enough, he might not notice what has just happened. He then slowed down so much that he drifted onto the hard shoulder, thought, here's my chance to get away. And I started to drive past when he pulled out, and straight away on came the disco lights and the sirens and everything else. And so I was like, oh, no. Pulled the car in at the side of the road. 
like a scene from a movie. Door opens. Highway patrol steps out. The mag light starts shining in the window and everything else. He comes up, probably not wondering what he's going to expect to see, when he sees me sitting there going, hiya. (laughs) He goes, "Uh, do you know why I've pulled you over? It's an awful American accent. I apologize if anyone here is American. I will not do that again. Do you know why I've pulled you over? And I said, maybe. He said, "Uh, you were driving on the wrong side of the road. He was like, what's with that? And I was like, I apologize. He went, stop right there. You're not from here. I went, no, I'm not. He said, where are you from? Any of you who've been to America, you'll know there is one answer. You don't get into the confusing politics of it. You just go, Ireland. <laughs> and he goes, uh, right, so do you, you drive on the wrong side of the road in Ireland then, do you? I was like, we call it the left. Um, and he goes, look, I need, I need to see your papers, I need to see your license, everything else. Now, I had made an assumption that it worked the same as at home. If you get pulled over, bring your license to the station, all the rest. I did not realize it was a felony to drive without your driving license in America. So I'm looking through, I'm like, eh, no, <laughs> I don't have it. He goes, right, well, have you papers for the car? I was like, yeah, yeah, no problem. Pulled out the papers for the car. The only name on the papers was Laura's dad's name. My name was not on it. He then says the words, well, I might just have to detain you until I can check with Interpol that you are not a wanted felon. At which point I was like, I'm not. (laughs) Just here from Ireland on me holidays. And, And eventually he sort of let me sweat for a while. He went back to his car. He came back up and he was like, you'd be on your way now. And I was like, no problem. And then drove home sobbing like a child. I was like, I can't believe how close I came. And the next day, it was only really the next day that I realized just how serious it was because Laura's aunt and uncle then heard and they were like, there were at least three things there that he could have locked you up for. And I was like, whew, God is good all the time. God is good. And it's in those moments where you're about to lose your freedom that you kind of have this kind of foreboding feeling. And yet the story that we step into now is a story where Jesus steps into a group of people, to a country, to God's chosen people, and all they've known is a life of slavery. And Jesus steps into that story, born as a slave. All of God's people at that stage were slaves to the Roman Empire. It's all they had known from one bondage to another, from one empire to another, that they had never known the freedom that they longed for. They knew slavery uh, from before Jesus was born, and at that time, whenever Jesus stepped in, he was talking into a context of people who had never known what freedom looked like. And it was into that moment that Jesus started to say words that must have resonated and reverberated inside people's souls, as he said words like, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. People must have thought, this is incredible. They had this history that informed them that there was a Messiah coming, that there would be a revolution, that there would be an uprising. And their hope and their longing was that Jesus would be that person, that he would start this uprising to overthrow Caesar and all of his gods. I'm sure sometimes they must have thought that Jesus was making it a little bit too complex when he said things like, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. 
I'm sure they embrace that as a, as a nice notion, kind of nice poetic language. But what these people really wanted is they wanted an uprising. They wanted to start a war. They wanted to get freedom. They thought Jesus was willing to shed an unimaginable amount of blood to purchase their freedom. And yet what they didn't realize was that he was only prepared to shed his own. And so it's into this moment uh, that we realize uh, the significance of this story. When he walked into Jerusalem almost 2,000 years ago, he walked in and people healed him as a king, as a Messiah, as someone that they thought was coming to overthrow the empire. What they thought was just the beginning, they didn't realize was actually about to become the end so that a whole new story could unfold. And so this morning, uh, we read a few verses from John chapter 12 together. It says, The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things had been written about him and what had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he, went, uh, when he, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This day, this moment is, is known as the triumphal entry of Jesus. It's this moment where he rides into the city and he's greeted as a king. The people come out, they snap off palm branches, they lay them down before him, they proclaim Hosanna, Hosanna to the king of Israel. They have this uh, approach to Jesus uh, where they're doing the right thing. They're celebrating Jesus. That is a great thing. That is a good thing. But they're not celebrating the Jesus that was there. They were celebrating the Jesus that they wanted to be there. They were projecting on Jesus who they wanted Jesus to be rather than allowing him to project on them who he wanted them to be. And so it's into this uh, that Jerusalem was going to be the place where they imagined that Jesus was going to put down his stake, where he was going to take his stand, where he was going to call the people to revolt and revolution, where he would establish his kingdom. Essentially, the people wanted him to be the kind of king who would allow them to be less rather than the kind of king who called them to be more. And so their freedom that they wanted was the freedom to overpower their enemies. But just prior to this, Jesus had talked about what true freedom looks like. Talked about it in one of his most famous sermons. And he said, you see when that Roman soldier comes and he, and he smacks you across the face and he, he kind of goads you to respond so that it gives him the right uh, that he is justification to kill you. In that moment, when he stands there in his uniform and seems to lord it over you, his importance greater than yours, in that moment, you turn and you offer him the other cheek. You let him know that you're free in a way that he will never understand freedom. When he comes in the middle of the night, when you're out with your family and he walks up and he demands of you the coat on your back, 
the thing you have worked so hard, perhaps the only coat that you own, and he demands it from you, and he wants to shame you in front of your family, you don't just give him the coat. You give him your shirt as well. You show him that his greed will never overcome your generosity because you are a free man. When they show up at your place of work and they decide to use you as their donkey or as their cart horse and they they call you slave and they call you over and they demand that you carry this burden, you carry their sack and their pack, you take it with them for one mile, the legal limit of their abuse. When you get to the end of that mile, you take the next step. You walk the next mile because you walk that next mile as a free man. And so as Jesus spoke, he came to change the world with a message of freedom. But it wasn't a message about the destruction of your enemies. It's a message about loving your enemies. Jesus stepped in to bring uh, this hope to us. He didn't come to conquer the world, but to save the world. Jesus was beckoning us in. He wanted us to step into a relationship with God that was defined by grace and mercy and redemption. And it was this message uh, that created against the religious people that we read about, the Pharisees. Uh, They're listening to this, and and all they've got are the Scriptures. And and not only can they not raise the dead, as Jesus did for Lazarus, but they can't even give life to the living. They just put this burden on people. They think that all that God wants is for you to keep rules and stay in line. And yet Jesus comes to bring this relationship. And so they start to plot uh, to kill him. They think that this would be the plot that would stop God in his tracks, rather than the very act that would bring God to his most powerful moment, where he would be crucified, buried, and he would rise from the dead. This is the most incredible moment in human history. Jesus did come to be the king, and he did come to establish a kingdom. But it's not a kingdom that wars against nations and empires and governments. It's a kingdom that wars against our shame and our guilt, our greed, our arrogance, our fear, and our doubt. And for those of us who are still searching for that freedom, I want you to know that until that void is filled by Jesus, you will search for something to fill that void every day of your life. You'll make other things kings in your life, and ultimately, those things will leave you empty and wanting more. Jesus established a kingdom that wins the war within because Jesus knows that the freedom that we long for is found only in the freedom of our souls. And so Jesus began this journey Uh, completely against a backdrop of everyone expecting something different. And he came to do the one thing that people at that stage could never have fathomed, that God would lay down his life, that Jesus would be the sacrifice, and that he wouldn't be dead for long, but there would be hope because he would rise again to bring us our freedom. And so this morning, I wonder, have we experienced that triumph of Jesus in our lives? That is the hope that we have. That is the life and the love and the freedom that we can step into this morning. Let's pray. It would be remiss of us to to speak of this freedom, to speak of this hope, uh, to speak of this king this morning, uh, and not to offer an opportunity for people to grab hold of that. 
for the first time. And so uh, if you have listened this morning to this incredible message, uh, this message of a God of love, God who lays down his life for us, God who wants us to be part of this relationship of grace and mercy and redemption and hope. And if you want to step into that journey this morning, it starts with the most simple words. It starts with us simply praying, Jesus, I give you my life. And so if that's you this morning, I encourage you to pray that prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. I want to know that freedom. I want to know that assurance. I want to know a hope for the future. There's so much more that needs to be said in our conversation with God. But if you've prayed that prayer this morning, can I encourage you to chat with someone that you've traveled here with? Chat to myself, Paul Chantel. For those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, God, over these next few weeks, would you focus us on the King that he truly is? Not our projection onto Jesus of who we think he should be, but God, that we would allow you to project onto us the type of people that you call us to be. God, that you would shape us, that you would form us. God, that you would give us faith that is steadfast, that you would give us hope, and that you would give us trust. And God, as we journey towards the cross, that we do so knowing what those first disciples didn't know at that point in time, that there is hope because there is resurrection. And so we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.